Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Success doesn't come easy, but Lisa Jones, head of America's president and CEO of Amundi US Inc., knows that a strong work ethic and unyielding commitment to your goals can make all the difference. Raised in an Italian Catholic family, Lisa learned the power of discipline from her days as an athlete, and she was able to take that knowledge to the professional world. In this episode, she'll share the secrets of her success including how to maintain composure in tough situations and why it's important to stay optimistic and focus on the positives. Listen in to learn more about how Lisa makes tough decisions and how she prepares herself for the future. She'll also tell us about a time she retired to become a stay-at-home mom and how the events of 2020 changed her perspective on work-life balance. Join us to discover how Lisa used her perseverance not only to break through barriers, but to create a life of success and personal fulfillment. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. Um we love to bring individuals like you to share their story and help us learn, you know, what were some of the things that you learned in your journey? You've had a successful career in the financial, you know, industry. You have 30 years of experience where you've held, you've held very senior leadership roles in an industry that is very male dominated, right? So you've always been this minority. Um, and we love to hear those stories so others can see that, um, you know, individuals like you can have leadership roles, have huge impact and influence. So tell us a little bit about your story, what you've learned along the way, and what are maybe one key lesson that you've learned, um, you know, now that you are in the role you're in. Well, first, thank you for having me. And I admire what Beyond Barriers is doing. Kudos to all of you. Let's keep it going. So let me just kind of um, give you a synopsis of my journey without going back to the wonderful day when I was born. But (laughs) that, like you, I've had the pleasure of working at some excellent firms. So Mm -hmm. I come up through the client side. So number one, for those that believe in order to be CEO of an asset management firm, you have to come up through the investment side. I'm unique and then I come up through the client side. I love it. Four different firms from Mm -hmm. asset management firms inside of an investment bank to an asset management firm that's publicly traded to now a global asset management firm based in Paris, France. And so I've had the, my journey has been experiencing different types of organizations and leadership structure. Through Mm -hmm. the client side, I started my career as a retail wholesaler Mm -hmm. in the banking industry. I then transitioned to the institutional side, doing institutional sales. And for the the most part, I've held global positions. Mm -hmm. And I now have the good fortune of being CEO of Amundi US and head of the Americas. And Mm -hmm. I would say that along the way, the journey has highlighted for me maybe a few mantras, if I can can just put them out there. I think 
perspective is super important. Yes. Yeah, accountability is key. Um, I think accountability is so important in building and maintaining a positive culture. So my mm-hmm. role today as CEO, I'm a big person. I'm, I'm a culture carrier. Mm-hmm. And I do like to influence the environment across the organization. Humility is something that we don't all have. Mm-hmm. So that we have it. And I'm going to be married 35 years this year. Mm-hmm. And um, having Congrats. the support of a partner that allows me to taste, take risks fail, be who I am, be authentic, try new things has been a key part of my career. Mm, That's phenomenal. I love what you said about the importance of perspective. Um, I want to kind of pull on that thread a little bit because it is extremely important to have perspective, to have a voice and to not be afraid to share that even if it is, you know, um, goes against what everybody else is, is thinking. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because in Beyond Barriers, you know, the women we work with, the women who go through our program, they sometimes are challenged with being afraid to speak up and share their perspective, especially when it goes against the grain of what everybody else is thinking. And um, can you talk a little bit about that, about like the importance of perspective and how, how it has helped you really, you know, set yourself up as a strong leader. So I have two daughters today who are grown women. Samantha's mm-hmm. 30 and Sydney is 26 years old. And I kind of always tell them, don't just lean in, go get them. Mm. And I think that that's, a, it's key for me. And by, by saying go get them, it's important to have a voice, but it's also important to having sights on where you want to go. And when I say it's key to have perspective, because perspective to me is not only looking at yourself in the mirror and understanding where you've come from, Mm -hmm. but it's also setting your sights on where do I believe I really want to take my professional, my personal life. Mm -hmm. And what do I need to do today in order to try to help build that foundation and that platform to bring me forward And then what have I learned from the mistakes? You know, we all think, especially as women, that you can't fail, you can't be vulnerable. And I think you have to fail and you have to be vulnerable because it's the only way you're going to pick yourself up and move forward and learn from that. Mm. I think that's powerful. And having that perspective and that clarity helps you really define what it is that you want, right? And when people maybe tap you on the shoulder for certain things, but you have that clarity in that North Star, you can say no with conviction of like, no, this is why. I think that's so important. And thank you for clarifying that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, when you began your career, you know, well, you and I were talking a little bit before we came on and, you know, you're a first generation college student. Um, so am I first generation college. But more importantly, we were both first generation corporate, mm-hmm. which is very important because we didn't really have anybody around us in our immediate family or immediate circle who understood what it meant to navigate the corporate culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about like when you began your career, did you ever imagine that you would have a leadership role, be the CEO, you know, in an organization? And, you know, how did you learn to navigate, you know, when you don't have those kind of people kind of saying, hey, here are the unwritten rules of the road? What did you have to do? What did it take for you in order to kind of learn how to move ahead in your career? Well, thanks for bringing up the first generation college graduate, because you know, we are a bit 
of our environment and our upbringing. So I grew up in an Italian Catholic family. Both of my parents were super hardworking. They did not go to college and they wanted the best for us. Mm -hmm. And I applied to colleges and I went to, uh, you know, up in the Northeast, we call them the NESCAP schools. Mm -hmm. And going to this school, one, surrounded by students who all came from private schools. Mm -hmm. And I from a public school and you're nervous and you're anxious and you feel as though I'm not going to fit in. I'm a little bit behind. I didn't come from the upbringing that they have. So one of the, can I say coping mechanisms? Yes. I used is I tried to be the best student. I tried to be the best athlete. And Mm -hmm. by doing that, I was always preparing, always wanted Mm -hmm. to my a game to a classroom or to the sports that I was playing. Mm -hmm. So when I, Then transitioned into corporate America, I knew back then as well, being a woman, I started on Wall Street, right? Mm, On Wall Street, when you walk into a room and we've all had that feeling, there's nobody else who looks like you. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I was over-prepared and that I was ready when asked or to participate, that I had something meaningful that I was going to, you know, going to contribute. And and I really attribute that to my parents. You know, mm-hmm. the values of growing up in a family where you had to work hard and you had to go after it and just that work ethic position mm-hmm. for the success that they had in growing their lives and their family. So when I came into corporate America, you know, hopefully if you were to ask any of my employees and my colleagues, a work ethic is something that I bring still to this day. And I think that that's really, really, really critical insights on becoming a leader or having a successful career. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. Let's dig into a little bit about, you were saying you were making sure that you were prepared and that you were even over-prepared. Can you talk a little bit about like, what does that even mean? Because we, when we try to tell people like, you know, you have to learn, learn from others. You, you know, you could, you could bury your head in a book, but that's not really like going to, going to help you. But how did you prepare? Like, what were the things that you would think about doing or who were the, you know, mentors, people that you reached out to? What did you, what would you do when you were thinking about preparing yourself? Because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So what, what was that process? So a couple of, you know, we all have those memories at points in time in our career when there are key events that actually stay with you. So I'm going to share with you too. So when I first started my career at my first asset management firm, I was asked to be a wholesaler of our mutual fund product Mm -hmm. through a large part of the country. I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was visiting offices of brokerage firms and of other types of financial institutions representing mutual funds to a room that was mainly comprised of individuals who were twice my age mm-hmm. with industry experience. And I'm going to say almost exclusively men. 
Right. And here I am walking in, 25 years old, a young woman, and I knew that one of the quickest ways for me to lose that credibility was not to hold my ground. So mm. I wanted to make sure that I was a student of the markets. I was a student of the product. I understood their business. I did my research mm. on their company, their values, what they stood for, what was most important to them. And usually before the meeting, I would say, if this is going to be a successful meeting, what is it that you want me to accomplish? So I mm. wanted to hear from them. And I always found that by asking a question, it allows me to make sure that I'm coming to the table with the appropriate information. Mm. If you fast forward, because this is where my first miserable failure resonated. <laughs> In my life, I had um, I was asked to do a public seminar. So I was probably 26 at this point, mm-hmm. and I was asked to do a public seminar in a very wealthy community outside of Washington D.C., high net worth marketplace. And um, I over prepared, over prepared for this presentation. I was doing great. The Q and A session came. I was doing fine. I said, "Does anybody have a last question?" And I got a question. I had no idea what they were asking about. And in that moment, you can take one or two paths. You can become completely unraveled mm-hmm. and try to maintain your composure. And I just simply said, "I do not know the answer to that question." I'm going to research it, and I'm going to come back to you. Meanwhile, inside, I was throwing up. I think I actually, right. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and so I, I specifically, when you say, how do you over-prepare? What I learned in those two aspects is ask questions so you understand your audience. Mm-hmm. And the second one is be human. You know, if you mm. don't know the answer to something, don't try to respond because you think that's what you need to do. Being that off, bringing your authentic self to a meeting mm-hmm. can actually um, help you with credibility over the long run. I love that. I love what you just said in terms of being authentic to who you are and being transparent because nobody can have the answers to everything. And, you know, at the end of the day, I love that idea too of asking questions and managing expectations, right? What are their expectations of you? And then you being able to say, I, okay, I know now how to meet those expectations. That is so important. And I think that's sometimes something that's so subtle or, or simple, but it's significant in the way that you can get things done. Um, powerful, powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Now I want to tap into. That moment, like you said, you have two paths. You can either unravel or you can kind of stay cool, calm, and collected and, and answer that. How do you, how did you build that muscle of confidence that kind of like that little bit of overcoming that fear and that, you know, just that in that moment? Like, what are some of the things that you've done to mitigate any of that self doubt or the limiting beliefs or even in those moments, being able to flex that muscle to move past the fear and hold Uh, yourself in, in like a very, very, you know, calm and cool collective way. I'm type A. I'm the ultimate overachiever. Uh And I, you know, I also believe that by playing sports growing up, Mm -hmm. you always had to practice. Mm. And what I tried to highlight today to, you know, my colleagues, employee, employees, when you think about the activities that we did, even if you didn't play team sports, mm-hmm. if you played the piano or if you were a singles player in, in tennis, 
we practiced, we over-prepared, we improved our form, we constantly had lessons and coaches. All of a sudden, we get into this corporate world and what, that all falls apart and it just goes away. So I try to really believe that we are still athletes of Mm. our craft in our career. And what is it that we practice and how do we constantly learn to be coached or to take lesson about that? And I, and I think that mm-hmm. that, I think it's, I think it's critical that we continue to try to improve and practice and, you know, be athletes in our business. I love that analogy. And, and you're, it's so true. I mean, if you look at some of the, you know, Olympic athletes, all of these, they are constantly practicing. And even if they are shaving off a split second on their time, they're constantly getting better and getting better. And you're right. Sometimes we lose that mentality when you come to work and it's just like, you still have to practice in order to um, be the best at it. I love that. Um, You talked about, you know, the things of being prepared and, you know, being in roles like you are, it is detrimental that you um, are able to make decisions quickly, but also at the same time mitigate risk. Can you talk a little bit about techniques that, you know, we hear this from women and, and in my corporate career, when I used to manage performance reviews and things, I would hear a lot from the stereotypical kind of generalization of women don't make decisions or they're indecisive. How did you, how do you make difficult decisions and make sure that you're making them quickly, but with confidence? That's a great question. And, you know, when we, when we talk to each other and we speak to women, I think what women bring to the environment is a great balance of EQ and IQ. Yes. And so it's not only about bringing your, you know, your smarts, your intelligence, your learning, your thinking, your experience, but it's, it's in reading and in listening to people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can't say that I'm always able to make the best, quickest decisions, Mm -hmm. but I do try to make sure that I'm gathering as much input along the way, Mm -hmm. listening to people so that when it comes time, you absolutely have to make that decision. Maybe it's just not just me in my own head, Mm -hmm. but really as a result of gathering some input and listening to some uncomfortable perspectives that I may or may not agree with, but mm-hmm. it allows me to take it into consideration. So when you're forced to make that decision, at least I'm doing it with a bit of clarity from the process by which I've taken along the way. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think you made, you made some really key points of, you know, you do need to listen to other perspectives, but you have to have your own perspective. And I love when you said, listening to the uncomfortable perspectives, whether you agree with them or not, but in the end, you're informed and you still move forward with your own perspective and conviction and what's, you know, in that moment, what you think is right. Um, And I love that because then you can validate. And as long as you've gone through that process, you can be confident in that, you know, I tried to validate and, and made the best informed decision. And I think that's what we want to share of like, it's a process. Decision making is a process, but you don't want to get caught in that loop where you're, you know, analysis paralysis. But like you said, be making an informed decision. I think that's powerful. I learned something, you know, because I'm, I always see the glass half full as well. Uh-huh. I think is great for a leader because it allows you to be optimistic and positive and mm-hmm. try to people along in the journey. But one of um, one of the aspects of that that I've had to try to change, I don't know if I'm perfect at it just yet, mm-hmm. is because I get excited about 
plans or opportunities of business, I would give my opinion on something or I would give my idea. And then I would say, that's a terrific idea, don't you think? Uh And I automatically squash, like, why am I going to object with her? So I tried to stop myself by sharing my opinion. And rather than saying, I think that's great. What do you think? I just kind of stop and say, I'm curious as to your response to that, which Mm -hmm. has helped me a little bit get some more genuine feedback. It's still a work in progress. That's so powerful. And and what you just mentioned is that you're not leading the witness anymore, right? Because you do hold a very senior role. You have a lot of influence in what you're saying, and you don't want to kind of like create that bias where they're just kind of nodding their heads and agreeing with you. Um, I love that. And that's important too, because we all do that. We all kind of like lead the witness of like, right? Like you want to listen to that. I I love that. That's such, so, so powerful. Now, the other thing that we talk about is that having to be a future ready leader, always having to be prepared about what's coming around the corner. I think my gosh, this past week, you know, has been crazy with, you know, everything that was going on in the financial, you know, um, you know, world with SVB and those types of things. What do you do as a leader to make sure that you are staying ahead, you know, staying informed um, so that you're not kind of caught with your heels, you know, in the, in the back? Because you talked about always being prepared, but how do you prepare for the future when you don't really know? Um, what's going to happen, but how do you make sure you're agile? So, yeah, the events over the last few weeks, nobody had a crystal ball to seeing that coming. But if you've been in this business, you know, for as long as some of us has, there have been other milestones where you didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. And so what I find is really important is, while you can't prepare for any of these unusual type of events, Mm -hmm. when there's um, a crisis, or a situation that potentially can be volatile or go in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. When an employee comes to you to say, you know, we've got Houston, we've got a problem. Right. I I find that maintaining my composure and not overreacting Mm -hmm. brings about a truthful scenario, a truthful scenario that then you can really address what the issue is. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that, then I find when when we are having a crisis or where something is concerning, that mm-hmm. escalation of an issue, which can avert a massive disaster, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Sadly, sometimes our society penalizes individuals who bring mistakes. You know, we all want to give out the trophies, right? Yes. We all- with everybody thinking where, you know, you, you've got to be fantastic. Everyone is fantastic. So, yeah, you can't prepare for everything, but how you react to the situations that are unusual, mm-hmm. I think the way of bringing a preparedness mm-hmm. discussion into the anxiety of the moment. I love that. And I love what you said about the preparedness, right? Because um, like you said, we never know what's coming and sometimes you don't see the markers. But if you've prepared that fire drill in your head or you've prepared like what is the evacuation, you know, policy, it's like you're, you know, kind of like that muscle memory of like, what do I need to do? Right. And, and I think that's the one thing is just being running those scenarios in your head. What would I do if, and I like to call them code reds, right? Like, what would I do if, and then when that moment happens, it's like, okay, I'm not going to go blank. I've, I have options. Um, I think that's, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. 
I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you are extremely successful. You have two daughters. Um, you've raised two brilliant daughters. You've managed work and life. You talked about having a very supportive spouse. Can we talk about this myth of work-life balance and how did you, you know, over through your career, how did you manage through, you know, bringing up two daughters, you know, holding a full-time job, leadership roles. Um, what is it that you needed, you know, how did you build that community around you in order to do it? So early on, work-life balance always, I, this is this is Lisa's perspective, always uh-huh. you to fall on the shoulders of the woman, right? And uh-huh. we took it all on. We took it yes. all on. What I will share in my journey is that I actually retired to become a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) You Uh, retired. I love it. I retired to become a stay-at-home mom. I have been doing a lot of international travel, a lot of international travel. And my girls were, one was in the third grade, one was in the eighth grade. And I also felt very guilty at their Mm. school with all of the moms who were doing all of these great fundraisers and these activities and the plays. And, you know, I was dropping my daughters off and I was leaving and I had a bunch of guilt. Maybe that's the Italian Catholic upbringing in me. (laughs) One day I, I, there was no balance. Mm -hmm. And I said to my husband, I am going to resign and I'm going to become a stay at home mom. And, and he, he laughed because I had said that from time to time. Well, I actually Mm -hmm. did it. Mm. And I became a stay-at-home mom and tackled everything that I wanted to do. The piano lessons, the cooking classes, the cleaning the closets, the dinners on the table. And I did that for nine months. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I really missed work. Mm-hmm. But that most importantly, it highlighted for me that work-life balance for me is one of where I'm both working mm-hmm. and I'm being a present parent when when I could be. And Mm -hmm. I think that this whole notion of work-life balance sets some of our young families up for failure Mm -hmm. because balance is something that occurs over time. Not that it it doesn't occur at a point in time forever. You have to strike and you have to be really okay with the fact that sometimes work is going to take you away and sometimes your family is going to take you away. So getting comfortable with that mm-hmm. helps me maneuver those periods of time when you're on that career track where you think yes. you do it and I'm going to step away. Mm-hmm. I love what this most recent um, experience of COVID has taught the world. Yes. That we saw families through the Zoom calls, you know, with the cats, the babies, the dogs, mm-hmm. that occurred. And I believe that it gave some comfort and confidence to our young working moms Mm -hmm. be okay with saying, I have to leave work a little bit earlier today because I have a doctor's appointment. So hopefully as dreadful as COVID was, we've learned to respect the fact that people are really busy. Mm -hmm. We can actually work and have a family life. I love that. And I love what you said about there is no balance 
you know, forever, right? It, it, it ebbs and flows, right? It's like a pendulum. And like you said, it's going to be career and then it's going to be home, you know, children, family, whatever it may be. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, how do you manage the expectations with the stakeholders of having those courageous conversations with work and saying, you know what? I have to leave at three o'clock to tend to my family. I'll be back on later or whatever. How do you, how do you have those conversations? Maybe when you have a, maybe not so understanding, you know, direct manager or team member, um, you know, how did you manage those when you were younger? And then as you get more senior, you have just more, you know, more influence. So it's just like, no one's going to question you. But what would you tell those mid-career young women who are starting out of like, how do you create that, that transparency? Well, it, I think one, I hope today for my employees, the fact that I'm a female CEO gives great comfort to mm-hmm. some of the young moms and, uh, you know, and other working families that I know mm-hmm. have a personal life. And not always in developing my career did I have that, right? Mm-hmm. I had no, I didn't work at a company where there were any female CEOs at all. Right. And um, I did have the pleasure of working for some excellent people. So mm-hmm. do the job and do it well. And mm-hmm. when you deliver on your performance and you are a, you know, a solid employee that's doing the work, mm-hmm. they want to keep you around. Yes. You know, they want to keep you around. And so be clear and just be honest and have the conversation. And if you have the right manager and you are contributing to that organization, um, especially today, I mean, we're, we're in an environment where there's a lot of turnover. And mm-hmm. unlike when, you know, I started my career, the view was that you should be working for one company for your entire career, mm-hmm. you know. You've moved around. I've moved around. We want to mm-hmm. keep people. We want to have those future leaders. Yes. I think a little flexibility and, and honesty goes a long way. I love that. And I think what you said, table stakes, do the job at the utmost you know, c- capacity, like just do it well. And then there's no questioning. They know that you're going to get the job done because they have evidence of top performance, right? Um, right. And I think that's key. Loved it. Um, I mean, I could go on for hours with you, but I know we have to wrap this up. So I'm going to jump into the lightning round questions because I love these because these bit answers sometimes um, share a little bit more about personality. But um, what book has greatly influenced you? I, I know you. I, I knew that that was going to be a question, and I think of the book, um, you know, Lean In, right? And mm. that it influenced me because, if I may, maybe I'm one of the critics out there. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the notion of Lean In. Absolutely, right? Lean In to me means sit back, listen, and then when you have something to say, kind of say it. That's why I say, go beyond Lean In and mm-hmm. go get them. You know, yes. be present at those meetings and and be one of the people at those meetings that are actually contributing and participating. Don't wait to lean in. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you. I love that book because I think it helps people understand that it does take, you have to be intentional. But I also think, you know, even me from my DEI lens also have to be careful of leaning in, understanding your audience, understanding how people perceive you as a female, as a Latina, as a, you know, person of color, like lean in doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. You've got to know the audience. So I think that's powerful and it's an important book to read. So you understand what the benchmark is. I think that's powerful. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? 
Um, I have to think about that a little bit. Um, I'm not so sure that I have a favorite inspiring quote or saying, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I come back to the mantra that I said with my girls, you know, it's just all about go get them. And that's what we say mm-hmm. when, when the girls were young and they were going to take the test, it was go get them. When we were, when they were playing sports, it was go get them. When my daughter, who's also in our investment industry is going to prepare for a, a finals presentation, it's, you know, it's go get them. And so we've, it's not someone else's quote or saying, it's kind of what's guided the family. I love it. Yes. Way. It's <laughs> our, our own cheerleaders and that we kind of hang our hat on that. I love that. I love that it's a family thing and it's a it's a shared language that each of you know what it means when it's like, go get them. Fantastic. What is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself? Transparent. Mm, I love it. Yes. And I, and I think you've given true examples of how true that is. What is one change, a habit, a behavior, an action that you implemented that made your life better? Um, I learned not to take everything so personally. Mm. And that's hard because people will say, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. It's professional. But when you're working for 35 years, who you are as a person is mm-hmm. part of who your professional career is. Right. And again, I come back to that, um, you know, coaching when we're, we're an athlete. Mm-hmm. Why is it that when we were, what, you know, when I was playing sport, sports, my co- coach could say, that was a miserable form or you did absolutely terrible today and you would respond positively, but mm-hmm. yet in the working world and you get criticism mm-hmm. tend to take it somewhat personally. So I've learned to try to not to take it personally and to actually, you know, have that perspective or improve or think about and try to bring some change. We mm-hmm. can't change our style, mm-hmm. but we certainly adapt over time. I love that. And I love to have, you know, and I really do think it's so important. Like you, you said, when you have other coaches or in other environments, when someone says your form is off or you, you know, you, this is the mistake you made. It's like, okay, I'm going to choke up on the bat or I'm going to do, right. you know, this or that you, you immediately have a positive reaction of, I know what not to do, but we do the opposite when it comes to work. So now understanding like, okay, these are just the feedback or like coaching, you know, tips for me to get better. I think I love that piece of it. What is the, so this is the final question. It's one of my favorites. So let's imagine Lisa, you're walking out onto stage and there's, you know, thousands of people like that, that, you know, you're about to address. What is that power song that you would want playing as you walked up out on stage? I am woman, hear me more. <laughs> I love it. Yes. That's going to be awesome. We we pull all of these songs together from our guests and we create like, you know, l- just like lis- listening lists, like playlists. Um, that's going to be an amazing addition. Thank you for oh, sharing that. Some of the younger uh, people in the audience will recognize. Well, just the title, I'm sure they're going to want to. Like, I am woman, hear me roar. I've got to play that one. Um, well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing uh, your insights, your story. It's it's an incredible story. And we are thrilled to have you as part of the Beyond Barriers family and sharing that story. I'm sure that there are going to be some listeners out there who are going to really, you know, be touched and your story resonates with them. So what's the best way for them to 
follow you and hear more of these Lisa isms um, that that you share. Um, you know, it, what's the best way to to just connect and follow you? LinkedIn. Awesome. And we post, you know, different podcasts and things that we're doing. Or if you just want to pop a question, um, always happy to engage to some of our rising stars. Well, fantastic, Lisa. Thank you so much for your time. It means so much to us. And um, keep going out there and go get them. (laughs) Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Bye. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.